Uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we're at today. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open there. Uh, It's been an interesting year. Uh, One of the things that we could say about this year is that maybe you've been unsure of who or what to believe at various times. So I thought it would be good to start uh, our Easter worship service by just me declaring, here's some things that we believe and know to be true. Like there's other stuff we hear, and like well, I'm not I'm not sure, but let me just start today by just declaring a few things that I can say we we believe this and we know this to be true. We believe and know to be true that there is only one God, and that one God exists in three persons, has eternally existed in three persons. And we know that the second person of that Trinity, the Son, remained fully God and became fully human. God incarnate, God taking on human flesh. And we believe and we know for sure, this is what we were just singing in that song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. We believe and we know for sure that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience that all of us fail to live. And we believe and we know for sure that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, a propitiation, right? Absorbing the wrath of God, willingly dying in our place. And we believe and we know for sure that on the third day the tomb was empty because Jesus had been raised from the dead. And we believe and we know for sure That he appeared to many after his resurrection. That he ascended to heaven. And that he there is interceding for all of us who trust in Jesus. And we believe and know for sure that he is coming again to judge. To bring justice by condemning the unrighteous to eternal punishment. And establishing the new heavens and the new earth. Where all those who trust in him will forever live with him to the praise of his glorious grace. So those are things that we in this time of uncertainty can believe and know for sure. We believe all of those things because of the source. The source of those truths is the Bible, which we believe to be the very Word of God, authoritative, sufficient. It's what we need. And so in the Bible, we have four different accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Lots of other testimonies referring back to it, but four accounts from the four different gospel writers of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Over the last couple of weeks in our church, we've taken a break from going through the book of Acts, which is the sequel to the book of Luke. And we've been going through the gospel of Luke as as we went through Palm Sunday last week, as we went through Good Friday this past week, or just a couple of days ago. And now today, we will look at Luke's account of the resurrection. Here's, Here's what I want you to know today. I want you to know that this really happened, and I want you to know that this really matters. So let's read Luke's account together. If you're able to, our custom is as we read God's word, we stand. So I know you just sat. Let's stand one more time. I'm going to pray and then read the Bible. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit's work. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work now. Whether our minds have been distracted by all sorts of things, maybe some minds distracted by things that have made us really sad today. 
our minds distracted by many things to do and a meal that we had to prepare and people coming or feeling lonely because nobody's coming. Whatever it might be, Father, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that our minds' attention and our hearts' affection would be set on Jesus. Help us to hear clearly your word that we might believe it and live. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word says this in Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I mentioned that we did get together on Friday. There were a number of you that gathered with us on Friday night where everything was a lot darker. By the way, thank you to... uh, Sherilyn and Joan and others who have kind of decorated so it looked differently on Palm Sunday and then on Good Friday and now on Easter Sunday up here because there's to be a contrast between those days. In many ways, Friday, I mean, even the weather outside was kind of darker and blustery and today is sunshiny and beautiful and there's a contrast between those two days because on Friday, the church gathers to remember the death of Jesus And in remembering the death of Jesus, we can't help but be reminded of the sting of death. Death that still exists. Certainly death that has continued to go on both before and after that day. Some of you are gathered together here on this Easter Sunday, feeling even more recently the sting of death in your own family. As you look back even over the last year, I just think of people that we've lost in our own church family. That last year at Easter, there were those with us, even though we weren't gathered together, but still with us, that are now with Jesus. A number of you, just even over the last weeks, I know there's there's some of you gathered here today who have lost both parents in one year. A number of you lost siblings. Others lost a spouse. And so we feel the sting of death. And the women who are coming on this Sunday morning have also felt the sting of death. They had been with Jesus even at the crucifixion. They had watched His body being placed in the tomb. If we read just the last two verses of chapter 23, it would tell us the women who had come with Him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how His body was laid But then it tells us this, Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. They spent 
some time preparing these spices and ointments, expecting that on when their Sabbath was over, their Sabbath uh, happening on Saturday, they expected when they came back to the tomb where they saw Jesus' dead, lifeless body taken off the cross and laid in the tomb on Friday, certainly they expected when they came back there on that Sunday morning that they would find a dead body. That's why they had prepared these spices and ointments. But here's what it says in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. If we looked at one of the other gospel writers, Matthew would fill in some details. He writes of the guards that were placed there, and the stone rolled in front of the tomb because they didn't want the disciples to steal the body of Jesus and spread some rumor that he was still alive. But now... The guards are gone, and the stone that sealed the tomb has been rolled away. Jesus' body is gone. The women aren't sure what to think. Here's what it says then in verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. What did they come to the tomb expecting to find? Well, a dead body. They came there, and the tomb was empty. How do they feel about that? Well, verse 4 tells us, while they were perplexed about this, you would be perplexed too, wouldn't you? Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Verse 5, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? So put yourselves in the shoes of these women who had been grieving, probably coming to the tomb on early Sunday morning with bags under their eyes for all the crying they'd been doing over the last couple of days. Yet they come to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away and there's no body in there and they're perplexed. And then these dazzling men in dazzling apparel, angels is what the other passages call them, are there and they're speaking to them. And they're asking a question. I don't know if the angels expected the women to answer, but I can imagine that they would have had a hard time answering. If they could have answered, maybe they would have answered this. Because the question was, why do you come and seek the living among the dead? Well, they could have answered, well... We didn't. Like we came seeking the dead. (laughs) That's what we came for. That's why we have these spices and ointments. Because we came here expecting to find a dead body in the tomb. Not an empty tomb. But they don't answer. And then they continue, the angels do, in verse 6. By saying, He is not here, but has risen. Oh, that's good news. He's not here. (laughs) You've come for a dead body. There's not a dead body here. You've come to see Jesus and his dead body that was laid in this tomb on Friday is not here any longer on Sunday morning because he's not here. He has risen. And then the angels try to jog their memory a little bit. The angels say, remember how he told you? while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now, if we had been reading through the Gospel of Luke before this, we would have seen a number of times in which Jesus did just that. the, The Gospel of Luke, we talked about this last week, has been always kind of pointing ahead to this moment where Jesus would come into Jerusalem to do exactly what was just happening here. In chapter 9, there's kind of this hinge, and Jesus began to head towards Jerusalem. 
Well, Jesus knew exactly why he was beginning to head towards Jerusalem. And he had shared with those who followed him, this is what's going to happen. I will suffer, I will die, and I will be raised from the dead on the third day. But it seems none of them really grasped that in full and didn't remember it. So the angels are reminding these women there at the tomb, remember that he said these things to you, and now he is risen. Verse 8 says this, and they remembered his words. I wonder how long it took for all of that to click. I wonder if they had a really confused look on their faces. And then as they started to remember, oh yeah, I wonder if like some, some big laugh came up from their belly. I, I wonder what that would have been like for them to all of a sudden remember. Oh yeah, this is just like you said. He said, he said they were going to kill him, and he said he would be raised. That's what just happened. That's why there's not a body here, right? Well, this is, this is really, really good news, because they had pinned all of their hope on him, and then they've been grieving because on Friday he died. And good news is intended to be shared, right? When we have good news, we, we want to hear it. Like, people want to hear good news. And people want to share good news. So, like, like last night, uh, yes, uh, well, yeah, last evening, I guess, uh, before uh, Isaiah went to bed, he and I got a free trial so I could watch some of this March Madness tournament. So we were watching the Gonzaga-UCLA game last night a little bit before Isaiah went to bed. But then it was time for him to go to bed, and he told me, hey, Dad, tell me what happens in the morning, okay? He wants to know how, how this how this turn out. Um, and so... Uh, he goes to bed, and, and uh, I did some other stuff, did some reading, and then turned on towards the end of the game and watched uh, UCLA come back a little bit and, and take it into overtime. And then they were down by two UCLA, the underdog team was, playing the unbeaten Gonzaga team, right? And, and UCLA ties it up with like three seconds left in the game. And you're thinking, oh, it's going to be double overtime. This is so exciting. It's the final four, right? All this stuff. And then and then the guy from, did you see that some of you saw this because I see you nodding your head. The, the guy from Gonzaga gets the ball and takes it, just makes it across half court, heaves it up. As the buzzer goes off, the ball hits the backboard and goes in, and, and the guy is super excited. He jumps up in the air higher than I've ever imagined jumping. And then he, he's still just running, and he's, he's got so much adrenaline, he jumps up onto a table uh, and puts his arms up in the air, and his whole team comes around because they want to celebrate this good news that they just won a game together. And so I got to share, actually I didn't see Isaiah earlier this morning, so right outside, right before the service, I, hey, here's how the game ended, buddy, right? I got to share that, that good news. And, and, and that was good news, like if you're a Gonzaga fan or it's just exciting to watch, man, what they're experiencing here is so, so much better. And it makes it, like in the end, the team won a basketball game last night. Woohoo! right? Jesus has been raised from the dead. Our God lives. That's what's happening. And these women, I, I don't know how much they can process. Some of you who have experienced grief, loss of, a, loss of a loved one, your mind is a bit foggy for a while, right? Hard to process everything. It's just been the third day now since he's been killed, right? And they're processing all of this, but they know this is good news and they got to go share it. So, verse 9, that's what they go do. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all 
the rest. Now, Luke does an interesting thing. He shares the names of these women. Verse 10, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now we know the group was larger. He names three of them, but there was more than three women there. It says, and the other women. He doesn't name all of them, but he does name three of them here in Luke's Gospel. He names Mary Magdalene. She had been delivered. Her life radically transformed by Jesus. Delivered from seven demons by Jesus and had followed Jesus and watched Him be crucified. Had watched Him be buried and according to Mark was the first person who got to see Jesus alive. Mary Magdalene. There was another lady named Mary too. It was a common name in that day. Mary the mother of James. She also had witnessed the crucifixion and burial of Jesus. And then this woman named Joanna... Joanna had been following Jesus for some time. She was actually married to the household manager of King Herod. She had lots of money and helped provide for Jesus and his disciples in their ministry. So, why does Luke tell us these three names? Well, I think he did it because people would wonder. This is not a normal thing that somebody would be raised from the dead. And if, and if something abnormal like that happens, your first, your first inclination is going to be to kind of question that. Did that really happen? Well, Luke is saying, hey, these three people, they saw it. Go talk to them. You can go talk to Mary Magdalene. You can go talk to the other Mary, right? Go, go talk to those people, right? And the other reason that I think he includes all of these details is because, again, people are going to be skeptical and conspiracy theories are going to rise up just like they do uh, about important things in our day. But let's just notice this about this passage. And we need to understand a little bit of the cultural context at the time. If, if Luke is just kind of like helping to write a conspiracy theory along with Matthew, Mark, and John, you would have think they would have collaborated a little more. Because as you put together, we read this last night in our house, just went through each of the resurrection accounts, well, it's kind of confusing to figure out how they all work together. If they were trying to kind of make this up, they probably would have done a much better job of coordinating things, so it was really easy to kind of put it all together exactly how it happened. And the other thing, the other thing that would have been different if this hadn't really happened, if they were just trying to convince people that this miraculous thing took place, what he wouldn't have included is the first witnesses of this being women. Because in that day, the, the testimony of women was, was not looked upon with any sort of uh, authority. Like, like a testimony from a woman would not be, it'd be like, a, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta hear it from a man. That's the only way it's gonna count. So the only reason that Luke and the other gospel writers would share that the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were women is because the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were women. That's not convenient if they're trying to prove something that's not true. But if they're trying to just share what is actually true, which I think is what they're doing here, it actually probably helps to prove that this really happened. Now, understandably then, because of that cultural context, look at what it says in verse 11. These women come to tell the apostles, and here's what it says in verse 11. But... These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Like, 
What? Really? They didn't believe him. But then I love what Peter does. And actually, John's account, John lets us know that it wasn't Peter alone who went. John went with Peter. And John, have you read the John's resurrection account? John inserts the detail, and I got there first. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Peter was running, but like, I mean, if Peter's running and I'm running, I win, right? So John inserts that detail. But, but Luke just tells us about Peter going there, okay? So, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. What does he see? He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. So he comes to the tomb. And he sees linen cloths that once had been around Jesus' dead body just laying there. Now there's cloths, but there's no body. I wonder how long Peter just stood there and just took it all in. What we know is that when he went home, he went marveling, probably running again, probably smiling, excited to tell the other apostles, hey, what the women just told us is true. This really happened. We believe this, and we know this for sure. So that's true. We believe that this really happened. Jesus really died on the cross, and on the third day, he really rose again from the dead. But the thing I want to hit home with all of us here today is this, that this really matters. Because you might say, okay, I can go along with that. I can, uh, I can go along with this really happening. But does this really matter? And I would say, yes, it does. Because we need an answer for death. We need to know we need to know, like, is there hope even in the face of death? Like I mentioned, a number of you sitting here today, just recently experiencing the loss of somebody that you loved. Ryan, still grieving the loss of his wife, who was 30 years old and died this last year. A whole church family grieving along with him. Kathy Stockdale's brother died this last week. Beth Beath's brother died. Now no siblings left for Beth. Right? Just talking to Brad before the service, both of his parents in the last year. Right? And the list could go on of those of you going to be with Ray and his family this week as, as we are at the graveside of Ray's brother. So this really matters. The fact that, that death is real, but is there anything more after that? And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead reminds us that yes, there is. Okay, so how does one move then from death to life? Well, last week, uh, when we were in Luke chapter 19, looking at the triumphal entry, I ended by taking us to the last part of Ephesians chapter 2. I want to end today by taking us to the first part of Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen as well if you didn't. Bring a Bible with you today. This news that Jesus rose from the dead would turn the world upside down. You know, on that day, the day that it happened, there was a small group of people, probably smaller certainly than this group here, that knew that that had happened. 
But as the days went on, more and more people came to know that this really happened and this really matters. It matters so much that since that time, billions of people around the world have been rescued by God's grace from their sin and have been gathering on Sunday mornings in all sorts of different places, all sorts of different languages, all because it was a Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead. So we're just doing that. We're, we're getting together again next Sunday. And then the one after that, this is what we do as a church. We gather together on Sunday. You're welcome to join us because we believe that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead really matters. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's why it matters. It begins with some bad news before it gets to the good news. And maybe you've heard the bad news. Maybe not. Here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Okay, so, so it begins with like a diagnosis, and the diagnosis is, hey, you know what? You're not perfect. Most people admit that. Most people are like, yeah, well, I'm not perfect. But they kind of shrug off their lack of perfection, right? They kind of shrug off. It's easy for us to just say, well, yeah, like I'm not perfect, but look at all these other people. Like I'm, I'm a couple notches above a whole lot of people around me. That's the way most of us look at things. But then we get the diagnosis from Scripture itself where it says, and you were dead. Like, it's not just like you needed a little bit of work. No, you're, you're dead. That's where you're at. When it comes to you and your relationship with God, you, your sin has so separated, from you, from, separated you from Him, it's as though you are dead spiritually. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world again that's why that's why our sin doesn't always seem so bad to us because we're just doing what the rest of the world is doing and there's people that are doing it a lot worse than we are so we think we're all right but we're not because we're following the prince of the power of the air that's satan the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, so the bad news is not just that you're now spiritually dead. It's that our, our separation from God and our spiritual deadness puts us in the category of deserving the very wrath of God. Not children of God, but children of wrath. That's our state naturally. So how does one move from being a child of wrath from being spiritually dead to being made alive well this is where it really matters this is where the resurrection of jesus matters because it says this in verse four but god but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ so it begins with a god the God whom we have offended, the God whose wrath we deserve, has so loved us that He gave us His Son. And just as Jesus died and was raised from the dead, we can be made alive together with Christ. Even though we are dead in our sin, we can be made alive together with Christ. Verse 6, And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
Listen to this good news. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were dead. And only because Christ died and rose again do we have hope. Not only for this life, but for the life to come. My hope is that you live with that hope. My prayer is that, that, that you, you know Jesus. That you have, you have come to grips with the fact that before God, I'm not doing pretty good. That before a righteous and holy God, I am a guilty lawbreaker deserving of wrath. Have you come to grips with that? Until you come to grips with the bad news, the good news is just more news. And there's lots of news available today. Right? But when you recognize the state of things, where your sin puts you in relationship to God, and what that means for you eternally, then you long for good news. You need some hope outside of yourself. And the good news is, what happened here on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday is the good news that you need. What happened on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday is what we need. That really happened and that really matters because our only hope is in Jesus, in who He is and in what He's accomplished for us. It's not, you cannot hope in, well, I'm going to do better than most people. That's not enough. Only what Christ has done is enough. And so He is our only hope in life and in death. If that's not the case for you, I would love to spend some more time talking to you about that. And if you're hearing that today, you're like, yeah, I believe that. This could be a day where the Bible calls it being born again. Like, like you're, you're literally spiritually dead, and you believe that truth. You turn from your sin, and you trust in Jesus. You're, you're like, you're made alive together with Christ, which is just what it said in Ephesians 2. That, that's really possible. That's really happened to me and to many others who have gathered here. And we would love to see many more of you hearing this good news and believing it and trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that He too might be your only hope in life and death. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we have hope that goes beyond this because there is, there is uh, grief and all kinds of trials, as was read earlier. But I thank you for the fact that many of us have been, as, as Ali read, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh God, I am so thankful. And I pray that as we join our voices together in song, that we would be remembering Christ in His incarnation, His coming into flesh, in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection, so that our glorious hope is in His return and our being forever with Him. God, thank You for that hope. In Jesus' name, Amen.